This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Chantal V. Johnson. Chantal V. Johnson is the author of the debut novel Post Traumatic, published by Little Brown in April of 2022. Post Traumatic has been long listed for the 2022 Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, whoop, whoop, named a Best Debut Novel of 2022 by Debutiful, and hailed as a sharp psychological novel by The New Yorker. Chantal graduated from Stanford Law School and worked as a tenant lawyer for over seven years. She lives in New York. Welcome, Chantal. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is so exciting. I've had your book on my nightstand. Um, I don't remember exactly when you sent it to us or had it sent to us, but I um, I would look at it longingly because I could not wait <laughs> to dig in. Um, and Alex and I've read it over the past week and been texting each other about it. We just loved it so much. So can't wait to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Um, will you read to us a little bit? Yes, I will. So I'll read a little bit, uh, from, from post-traumatic. Um, this is a party scene, um, where the main character Vivian, um, she is crushing on kind of half-heartedly crushing on this married man, Elliot, Elliot, (laughs) and she has decided to try to seduce him um intellectually uh (laughs) she's she's trying to like kill two birds with one stone i think she wants to like demonstrate that she's really smart in front of this guy but she also wants to embarrass his wife who is a psychologist um and her name is pauline Mm -hmm. okay i'll begin Bold move to keep that Woody Allen book in your bathroom, Vivian said to Elliot, trying to lure him into a private conversation. With a bashful smile, he turned toward her. What can I say? He's a genius. Can I ask how you feel as a woman, though? He said, leaning closer about the allegations. Vivian laughed and pivoted toward Elliot, pretending to hold a microphone. 
Well, as a human who cares about women and girls and knows what a predator is, I can say they aren't allegations, they're facts. And to society, I would say, where were we all in the 80s? Because this news literally dropped way back then. But I guess no one cared about women and girls then. Y'all only care now because being anti-misogyny is cool. But none of this changes the fact that another woman is brilliant. And Denise interrupted. I'm sorry, but I just can't. If I ever get tempted to watch anything he makes now, I just remind myself he molested his daughter. That usually gets rid of my desire to watch Annie Hall or whatever movie you're talking about. Vivian felt her neck getting red. She hadn't wanted this to be a big group sort of conversation. Max said, I've never been invested in Woody Allen, but this comes up for me with like David Bowie raping people. Who did David Bowie rape? A young girl, I think. No one talks about it. It's weird which sexual sexual abusers people latch onto and which ones people don't. But I do the same thing as Denise. Get tempted to listen to Station to Station and then think about him raping someone. Christina said, I'm so scared of being caught listening to or watching something by someone who's been canceled that now I just Google everyone first before I consume anything. We need an FDA, but like for rapists, Vivian said to Christina only. And only Christina laughed. Kurt sighed. I just don't care what the artist does or doesn't do in his personal life. Once the thing is out there in the world, it's mine. The artist I can take or leave. Denise turned to face Kurt. But there's money involved. Your consumption is allowing a pedophile to get richer. Don't you see a problem with that? The art and the artist can't be financially separated. I don't care about my money supporting them, Kurt replied, because the issue isn't that abusers are artists. I mean, abusers are everywhere. They do everything for a living. So you find yourself inevitably supporting them. Elliot cleared his throat and said, for me, it depends what the art is about. If the art is actually about whatever the artist is being accused of, then I can't make the distinction between the art and the artist. So like, I can watch Crimes and Misdemeanors, but not Manhattan. It's too close. Vivian tongued the inside of her cheek as they spoke, different parts of her clamoring for attention, one part happy this conversation was happening, another part inexplicably enraged, ranting in her head that she was the one who'd been talking about sexual violence for years when no one else was talking about it, and she had the best opinions on it. She was an expert. She should be a talking head on TV discussing these matters. She should be writing internet explainers on these matters. And now she's standing at a party completely unheard, unappreciated, and unrepresented. There was a moment of expectant silence that comes when everyone in a group has given their opinion about a topic and they all want to be the one to say the next brilliant thing about it, to have the one interpretation, the one take that everyone can rally around. Vivian jerked up into this void, dramatically sloshing her drink around in her cup and taking a gulp before speaking. Look, she said, pedophiles can make important movies about women. She took a beat. Another woman is brilliant. Jenna Rollins's performance is legendary, and there just aren't many movies that portray an intellectual woman grappling with the limitations of her own personality. I'm the most feminist person here, she continued, with self-aware vanity, holding her right hand to her chest and making eye contact with each person as if they were members of some jury. My love of that movie doesn't negate my loyalty to the cause. Maligning a pedophile's work product? That's the morally easy thing to do. For me, when we're talking about moral duties, the real test is what you do when you know or suspect that abuse of women or children is going on in your life. I'd like to see the people who refuse to watch Manhattan or The Cosby Show or Two and a Half Men reruns actually have their moral construct tested when somebody close to them turns out to be an abuser, because we all know someone who's abusive, whether we're aware of it or not. 
on the far end, your father could be out there molesting people, she said, pointing at Pauline. But at the very least, we all know toxic people who must be stopped. Do we stop them, though? I think we fixate on the ethics of aesthetic consumption because it's easier than dealing with the moral trespasses of real life. It's easier to denounce an artwork than a family member, right? Or a friend. So ultimately, for me, all this talk about whether we should watch Annie Hall or dance to Ignition Remix or whatever is a distraction from the larger problem. How do we prevent the mass rape and abuse of women and children? And what do we do with the offenders? It was a solid speech, very high school oratory, very opening statement, very militaristically vanquishing the enemy. Vivian took a triumphal sip of her drink, surveyed her lands, waited for applause, but she didn't get any. No one knew what to say, and she didn't understand what she'd done. She had to read their faces. Pauline was looking at her like she was crazy. Denise's face indicated that she was puzzling over Vivian's remarks and couldn't speak until she had a rebuttal. Elliot seemed sympathetic, but perhaps felt it was too soon to express his sympathy. They'd only just met, and Vivian had suggested that his father-in-law could be a pedophile. Max looked like he was watching a reality show where women compete against each other and one of the women has just come for another of the women in a crossing the line manner that was also true and so while he was slightly disturbed disturbed, he was also thinking she's not wrong she probably shouldn't have mentioned abusers in their lives maybe some of the men in the circle were abusers and maybe some of the women in the circle had been abused and maybe even one or two of the men in the circle had been abused or maybe it was just the social taboo against mentioning abuse at all but now it appeared that no one wanted to say anything because she'd made things too real by going down this road like years ago when she would make things about race around a group of white people before it had become socially acceptable or even cool to make things about race now here she was out there all alone looking she felt like someone who'd been abused as a child. She'd outed herself. She felt out of control. Her face was getting red. The sludgy feeling was returning. Could they all see? Pauline spoke first as if she had to, being a psychologist in the presence of an unstable person. Well, anyway, I'm not sure how we got from Annie Hall to people having abusers in their family and mass rape, she said, looking at Elliot, determinedly not looking at Vivian, but clearly directing the comment toward her. Her quotation marks felt like rubber gloves being used to protect her delicate social ecosystem from Vivian's hazardous concepts. What she was really saying was, this is my birthday party and I don't want to talk about this stuff. I've high topped you and you're mostly a fearful and distressed internalizer with a thought disorder, but you also tend to antagonistically externalize in social situations. In other words, you're creepy, afraid, depressed, and bad at parties. Stop bringing down the mood. I will stop there. Oh. <laughs> oh, and it's all like that, everyone. If you haven't read this book yet, I know many people probably have, but it's all like that. And what I think is so brilliant, well, there's so many things in what you just read, but um, one of the things that's so brilliant is Vivian's self-awareness doesn't save her. Um, mm-hmm. She's extremely self-aware, um, but it doesn't doesn't do what she wants it to do for her anymore um and I I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about how you got to that place where you could write someone who is so self-aware but still cannot see herself Mm. oh that's such a good question and it's so it's so hard I've been sitting here for the past hour trying to like remember how I wrote this book (laughs) (laughs) And like, if you saw my desk, it's just like 10 notebooks like <laughs> open. I'm trying to go back and be like, how did I do this? How did I do this? Um, 
And the reality is that I have no idea. Um, But (laughs) for the sake of the interview, I will say that I was interested in that tension. Um, This idea of of a person of high intellect um, and a person of high self-awareness and insight um, still unable to unable to unwilling to not yet ready to look at certain aspects of her life and really face them mm-hmm. and that feels like that's something that everybody goes through but I think it feels particularly um strange or difficult when the person is so self-aware mm-hmm. so it seemed like a good a good way to generate conflict internal conflict within a character mm-hmm. and then um to create a sense of dramatic irony um for the for the reader which i i do think is important um that the reader uh for, for this story i wanted the reader to have a little bit more awareness of certain things than 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 vivian mm-hmm. um in part because she's so she's so smart and I just wanted to show how dumb she is as well. <laughs> and, and I think that that's really satisfying for people to, uh, to see that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's also like the child in her. It's, it's the innocence in her that's, mm. um, that she's protecting with all these, with being so smart and so well-read. And so, you know, she's seen every movie. She's thought deeply about all these things. Um, and she does that to protect this really hurt person inside her. Um, and, and, you know, like in the beginning, as I'm, you know, watching her disarm in the first scene, disarm Melissa and, you know, just kind of like, she says something acerbic and laughs to herself. And I'm like, I, I love this woman. Like, where are we going? You know, like I, and then you just so, uh, skillfully, like slowly up the um the tension and her paranoia and her fear and and um throughout the book until it really comes to you know a major crescendo for her um and I just I I just I was with I was with you from the beginning thank you I love about that crescendo that you referenced Lindsay is that reading the opening section the opening scene with Vivian and Melissa and the psych ward, you don't, I did not think that the book was going to go where it did or that mm-hmm. the crescendo would be involved with the things that it is in some ways. I feel like this book is so sly in that we just, we go deeper and deeper into Vivian's personal spiral and it belies what where we started the at the beginning of the book in a great way. It's so surprising where we end up with her. Um, I want to know, Chantal, did you have a sense of Vivian's arc early on, or did you did you kind of write yourself to that place? I wrote myself to that place. I I can't imagine writing any other way. Um I definitely just started with the voice and the consciousness and kind of the the aesthetic goal was document uh, the traumatized mind of a brilliant 
woman as well as I can. And, mm-hmm. and beyond that, I had no other aesthetic goals at the outset. Um, as I worked, um, which I wrote the book over a period of, I don't know, seven or eight years while working full time. So it was, took a lot, took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, as I wrote like new goals, um, arose, you know, and new, 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 uh, like one, one new goal that arose was, you know, there need to be more characters <laughs> in this, mm. in, in this book. Um, and, and some more kind of plotty stuff needs to, needs to happen. Um, we need to see her family, um, because the first few years there was no family mm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I just kept adding things or things kept being added by some outside force, um, cause I do feel like writing is some mix of me and then something else um then the the shape of the book kind of became clearer Mm. um but it definitely was not outlined um and I do think it shows I mean I think the book is a bit messy in a way um and it's deeply it's deeply imperfect but that's fine (laughs) I those are my favorite kinds of books I Alex can tell you and not, and I don't agree that this book is messy, but I know I what either. you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a traditional, um, you know, whatever narrative arc novel, whatever, but it is a narrative and it is, um, I don't know what you're doing needs a different name. I kept, I kept trying to think of what I would name it. It's a novel. Mm-hmm. Like we will mm-hmm. call it a novel, but it is mm-hmm. something else too. Um, and I don't know what to call it and I don't. I guess I should fight against like trying to label everything, but it does feel like the the plot is there, but it's the but it's not the point of the book. the The point of the book is seeing what like exactly what you set out to do, which yeah. um you know it gives us this like real glimpse of what it is to be a woman in this moment in time, um, a, you know a traumatized a deeply traumatized woman, um that feels like like such important work and um and it's crazy how <laughs> I, because that it it is dark i mean there's a lot of darkness in the in the book a lot of sadness and a lot of hard stuff but it's also really fun and funny and it's super funny it's yeah. <laughs> it's super fucking funny it's so yeah and it's like you um it, it's it's so like recognizable even as you're being shown something that you know or I'm being shown something that I haven't seen before um so I don't know I I guess like I get what you're saying I yeah. get what you're saying about it but that's my favorite kind of book I just fucking love that kind of book where it's it establishes its own rules and and we're just in it you know yeah I think it's I think I guess I would call it an episodic character study mm-hmm. And I, and I love, I love character studies, you know, and there are writers who are just like, that's not, that's not my thing, or that that's not a novel, you know? Um, But I love character studies. I was really inspired by character studies when I was writing the book, character studies with highly specific literary style. And that's, that's, that's what I tried to do. (laughs) I thought of uh, Miranda Popke's book, Topics of Conversation. That was, that was one I definitely thought of. Um, Which I still, I haven't read it. I need to. You should read it. I think, uh, I think, 
I think they, they're two interesting books to, to think about together for sure. I was scared when that book came out to read it. And <laughs> so I definitely had some years where I was like, there's books that I can't read because I don't want them to either way kind of influence me. Oh, I totally get that. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. But I can Absolutely. read it now. Was oh, it yeah. always in uh close third? Yeah, mostly. It mostly was. Um, there was a brief period where I changed it to first person. I was wondering, cause some of the, I, I'm glad it's in close third, but I was like, even hearing you read it, I was like, God, I bet it would be so tempting to put this in first because it's so, it just rolls. It's just <laughs> like, it just has a, there's a cadence and a, and a wonderful rhythm to your writing that I feel like I would probably put in first because I, it's easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I think because of the nature of the material, of course, yeah, I, it was really helpful for me to establish the distance of, of the, the she, her Vivian distance. Totally. Um, and so as part of my writing process, I just don't even know if I could generate some of the things that I wrote if I was writing in I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would be real, like real close, or it would have to be like super obvious, right? Like when you're trying to give us glimpses of Vivian that don't belong to her, mm-hmm. it would be. Mm-hmm. I guess it would have to happen through dialogue or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, speaking of dialogue, I I want to hear your process because there's a lot of times when Vivian like uh, writes a check that her butt can't cash, um, <laughs> and. But but then there's also many times when she's just so freaking smart. And I wanted to know, like, there's dialogue and, um, you know, it, like in the um, the bit that you read is so important and so revealing. Um, and like, she, you know, the, the big fight she has with Jane and, um, mm. you know, there's all these moments where it happens. It happens in arguments or it happens in, in mm. little speeches and stuff. And I mm-hmm. like how how did you write those? Because they they they're very real They're They don't feel contrived that I don't feel like I'm being manipulated. I really feel like Vivian's in it. And, um, you know, like she's not, sometimes she, she has the last word and a lot of times she doesn't. And I just want to know like how those conversations came to you. How did you write those? I wrote them using heavy amounts of THC. <laughs> <laughs> So I took the 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 polyvocality that that weed uh, induces <laughs> within me, <laughs> and instead of allowing it to drive me insane, though it did drive me insane, wh- while allowing it to drive me insane, sometimes I would also be able to reduce some voices and counterpoints to writing that I could then put in this book. Um, so as someone who is, you know, who, who trained as a lawyer, who was working as a lawyer while writing this book, part of my job was always about, and, and I was training as an academic before, um, is just about anticipating counter argument and having arguments and being very comfortable. I am someone who is very comfortable with conflict, perhaps too comfortable, <laughs> um, question mark. Um, and, and so, and so, uh, I was, I was a heavy, uh, I was, I was a big weed head for, for quite some time for about a decade. Um, and I was smoking the entire time that I wrote this book and, 
and yeah, like it was, it was just very helpful to access other, like that kind of like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Like with the, with what I just read, I was just kind of like sitting there and I was like, what are all the different arguments that you can make about this whole art artist thing? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ones that I've heard and what are the ones that I've read and what are the ones that I can think of now? And um, it really was just like, let's just try to see how many different ones that that there are. Um, because that that often is something that happens in social situations um, of, you know, with with people of a certain age and level of education. You know, there's like, I think this, I think this. And everyone's kind of like um, doing what people do on Twitter, um, but like at a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of, yeah, like with a lot of that stuff. And like Jane, um, so much of the Jane Vivian dialogue was just like marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and funny because they're also smoking marijuana. In yes, the scene. yes, <laughs> yes. I really love um, how we get the Vivian who, how she is when she's friends w- with Jane, when she's with Jane. And then we get to see Vivian when she's with Christina. I felt like there was like a very good like dichotomy there that was important you know and you mentioned like as you were writing you realized there needed to be more characters but what made you what made you add chris i'm i guess i'm assuming jane jane came first but maybe she didn't but what made you um give vivian these two different types of friendships yeah jane did come first very mm-hmm. astute um jane was always always there um and then Christina came a bit later when I was when I was thinking about I was thinking a lot about my friendships and how I have friends who've never you know I've lived in New York for quite some time and I still have friends have never met each other and I think in part because my life has been so um I don't know. I've just done a lot of different things here. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I have like this like past academic life and, and I have like the lawyer life and I have the creative life um, and I have the like singing with the geriatric choir <laughs> life, you know, like I have like, you know, like 75 year old friends that no one's met. Um, <laughs> but I, so I was thinking about that. Like when, when, when Vivian and Jane, like get into the fight, I just thought, well, then like, what, well, what would I do? And it would kind of be like, well, I'm just going to pivot hard into my other friend group, you know? Um, and then I, I, you know, I don't have an MFA. So a lot of the way that I taught myself to, to, to write was just by reading books and like listening to craft lectures and stuff on YouTube. And I remember I saw one with, I think it's Charles Baxter. He does like a lot of craft mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and he, he talks about and writes about counterpoint narration, um, which was an idea that I think I had been instinctively doing, but never had heard it called that. But it's just this idea of um, like one way to generate urgency in a book is like through conflict, but another way is through having a character who's a counterpoint for someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking, well, if Jane, I started thinking specifically about the family thing and the whole f- 
you know, familial obligation conversation that Mm -hmm. Vivian and Jane have Mm -hmm. early Mm -hmm. in the book, Um, you know, the consequences of which kind of uh, ripple throughout the throughout the novel. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking, like, if Jane has this idea of um, familial obligation, um, that's kind of like a it's kind of like a like a political uh, ideal. and that's also related to race and ethnicity um for jane then what other what other orientations to family could i have in the book mm-hmm. um and so i was thinking about christina um kind of as just another another take on the question of what do you owe your family and why um and I just love the character of Christina I mean Mm -hmm. she's she's when when I when I sold the book um when I was having uh the first conversation with um Jean Garnett who became my editor um she's something that she said on our first call she I love that she drew attention to Christina in our call and she was like she was like I can't decide if Christina is like the dumbest character in the novel (laughs) or the smartest one because I say smartest maybe Christina just like has it all figured out you know like she's very pragmatic she's made her decisions like she's gonna like marry this guy and because that's what she like needs to do and she's like she she doesn't have any body negativity and she's just kind of like great and I was like I love that you love Christina (laughs) (laughs) it's true I mean like and that's one of the things I love about the novel is you know Christina's relationship with her fiance is like fine but you know they're they're not getting everything they need but that's like that's like realistic right yes exactly see that all the time you know and um and yeah I'm on the side of Christina is smart (laughs) like Vivian's the smartest but Christina is pretty damn smart I would say and I love I love that you know Christina is not an intellectual but she has like these little devastating insights throughout the book that Mm -hmm. that count and that matter and I think it's important in a book like this that's so focused on one character. Like there has to be, I mean, I felt, because um, there, there are character studies where it's really just the character and that's fine as well. <clears throat> but I felt in this book, I felt strongly that I wanted to give other characters insights. I wanted to give other characters insights that Vivian doesn't have and let them have like their one-liners and their like takes or whatever so that it's not all the Vivian show. And it's it's wonderful because that's how friendship works, right? It's <laughs> that's how real friendship works, you know, is because there these there are these people in your life that that tell you things that kind of blow your mind or, you know, or that you kind of push back against, you know, like and and I love that. It just felt very real. Thank you. Could you talk uh, a little bit about selling the book? When when was that was it pre-pandemic that it sold or did it sell during the pandemic? What kind of what was your your journey with the with the book here post actually writing it? Yeah, so I sold the book um in the summer of 2020. What? Oh no. Wow. Do you all hear that? <laughs> Do you hear my Wait. can you hear it? me? Hold on. Yeah, oh yeah, you're fine. Okay, hold on. I need to take my headphones off. Sorry. Okay. Hope, hope you can edit this out. Of course. Yeah, no problem. 
Okay. Is that better? Yeah, my headphones just died. Oh, dang it. Okay. It's fine. But I still sound good to you, right? Yeah, you oh, sound yes. good. Perfect. Okay. So I sold the book in the summer of 2020. Um, so, you know, a few months after the pandemic had started, I had gotten an agent a year about a year prior to that. So I, from 2019 to 2020, worked on the book with my agent. Um, We edited it for about eight, nine months and then went out on submission in the summer, which you're not supposed to do because publishing Mm -hmm. is slow during the summer. (laughs) But like everything that I got during this process happened during the summer. So um, like I got a Center for Fiction Fellowship in 2018, which was very helpful because that's how I was able to start meeting agents and stuff. Um, Great for me because I did not have an MFA. I had no real connections. Um, I had like one or two friends who were writers. then 2019 summer of 2019 agent and then um summer of 2020 went on submission and that was wow that was a rough a rough the 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 first week when i got no news um (laughs) was so (laughs) painful um I remember, and I I already have, I have a tendency towards the dark and depressive um, and the kind of like performance of depression. <laughs> 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 like I, I am a geriatric millennial, but I can channel like Gen X performative <laughs> melancholia whenever I need to. Just like black um, lip liner. Oh yeah, like wearing all black, and I'm already like very metal. So <laughs> wearing, I remember wearing all black and like dragging my partner to the park, and just like wearing all black, walking around the park, and just just being so miserable and pathetic, and just oh. being like no, you know, it's just going to be all rejections, and like nothing is going to happen for me. And then, and then. And then the opposite happened. <laughs> like then I started getting like, uh, oh, so and so editor wants to wants to meet with you, wants to wants to chat with you. And these were all like phone calls or Zooms. Um, but I didn't understand what was happening because like no one was offering. So like I was talking to these editors on the phone or on Zoom, and like for some people, like meeting with their like publicity people, marketing team, and they're telling me how much they love the book. And then I get off the call and I'm like, that was cool, but what was that? And then after that happened a few times, I asked my agent what was going on. And she was like, she was like, oh, the book is going to auction. <gasps> and I was like, oh. And she was like, yeah, so no one's offering now. Like they're going to offer like during the auction. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I had no idea what was happening. So did they, on those calls, were they trying to impress you? Is that why they had the calls? Yes. So they're trying to impress me. So I remember like one thing I did ask my agent before the call for, for the first call, it was like, so am I impressing them or are they impressing me? And she was like, mostly like, they're going to be wooing you, but like, you also want to, you know, you want to show that you're open. I think the most important thing for an author on those calls is to show that you're receptive to being edited, you know? Yeah. Um, and in, in a way that's as, as, as kind of authentic to yourself as, as you can be. Like, I think if anyone said something that would be a real deal breaker for me, I would have to be honest with them. Cause I don't want to like, like 
just don't bid on my book if like you have this horrible idea for the book that's not going to work um but i was in a position where you know enough people were interested that i could be honest if i needed to um but mostly like i i was receptive to what people were saying um but yeah like it's just it's just really funny how I had listened to all the podcasts and like talked to the people and I still did not realize that my book was going to auction. I just literally had no idea what I was like, what are these meetings? What does this mean? (laughs) I feel like some of that stuff, like Alex and I have never experienced exactly that, but I feel like there is some stuff that happens that is so obvious to your agent and you're kind of mm-hmm. going, so what do I do here? Like, what oh, am yeah. I supposed to do? There's a million yeah. things like that. Like yeah. almost everything in the process for me where it was yeah. like, wait, what does this, like, what does this mean? Like, what does this phone call mean? Oh, it's good. Yeah. They're probably exactly. going to offer it. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my agent thought that because I'm so like on top of things in type A, like, I think she just thought that I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first person we've had on whose book sold during the pandemic that went to auction. Yes. I'm almost positive. And we've talked to a ton of people who sold books during the pandemic. It's usually just like, yeah, or like, or like the most backdoor shit ever where they're like, yeah, I got an email like eight months later and they said they'd do it. So that's, I love hearing this. That's yeah. and, And I was in shock and I was in an auction and I had no, you know, I had no idea and and so yeah so i talked to i talked to some editors um and then and then you know we set like a a a, a date you know by which the the offers had to be in um i and then and then you know everyone's like so what how does the auction happen and it's like well it just happens via email <laughs> Like, oh my god! Like your agent gets offers via email on the closing date that they set, and so your agent's not up there going, "Hey, blah, 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 blah. exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly." <laughs> um, and then, and then, and then, um, and then she called me, and she forwarded me the emails while she was while we were on the call, and the big the big question was is the person that i want to work with gonna gonna offer up the the money <laughs> you know right. like is it is it how how easy is this decision gonna be right you know um did it end up being easy it ended up being easy good yeah yeah that was great um and it was it was a wonderful decision um i mean and i i pretty much like knew um, but I'm a pretty, I don't know, I just go by instinct. Um, and I and I knew when I spoke to Jean that she, Jean Garnett at Little Brown, um, she she got the book. She was not asking for any changes that I did not agree with. Um, you know, all of her suggestions were suggestions that I I was just on board with. Um, and she loved the book and I loved the way that she spoke to me about the book. And it just felt like we were aligned. So it was it was an easy decision to make. Did you have the title uh, before the submission? Yes. Awesome. Um, yes. Yes. It had been something else for years. And then I think um, a few months before submission, I, I, I changed it. 
Um, what do you think of the title? I st- sometimes I'm just like, I- I'm just so tired of telling strangers that I wrote a book called post-traumatic and I just wish, I wish it was anything. Oh, I, I never thought of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously I didn't think about it from that perspective, but yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I, there's so many things about the book from when you first pick it up that I feel like it, I didn't know what I was going to be reading. And then I didn't know what I was going to be reading even 20 pages in. Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, when I, when I really got hooked was when the first appearance of the, the Jane Vivian, uh, what you owe your family conversation returned for the first time. And I could mm-hmm. kind of see how you were building the narrative that I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Holy shit. She's going to just keep going down this road that I got really excited. And then I was that's, re- that's really interesting to hear Alex, because one of my editorial calls um, another editor that I was really excited about, she said something, she said something like, um, you know, and she's like loving the book and being complimentary, but she said, you know, there's a way in which when she was like, when I started the book, I didn't know, I just didn't know what kind of book this was going to be. Right. It was like, you're going into the dating thing and the eating stuff and the work thing. And so it's like, there's these options of like, yes. where it's going to go. Totally. You know? And she was like, she was like, I wonder if there's a way that we could signal earlier on, which, you know, like which direction it's going to go. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that that was really interesting. Um, but I think, I think that that's a really apt, uh, and I, <laughs> but I think partially it's because I didn't know where it was going to go when I started. No, writing. but I think, I think that's the strength of the book. I, there's so many books where just being there's, I think there is huge value to just being surprised as a reader, just plainly. Mm-hmm. And I think this book has so much of that because as you said, I mean, I think that's, it's really true. At first I was like, okay, is this going to be like a psych ward book? And then mm-hmm. I really did think it was going to be heavy on the, on the dieting or uh, eating disorder, which it is, but it's, the book is so much more than either of those things. And yeah, I mean, it, it it's, it's a difficult book to encapsulate in a elevator pitch, which is nice that your title is all encompassing in the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that uh, there's a broadness to the title that is, is, is funny after you've read the book, uh, but also like it's appropriate. I think it, I think it fits the book. Yeah. And the beautiful way that you have the scenes at, toward the end with the therapist um, where Vivian discovers kind of, oh, there's like a method to what I'm doing. All this stuff, yeah. you know, this this like relentless, um, like thinking about food and thinking about appearance. And um, I, I, the scene where um, she's naked in front of Matthew, but mm-hmm. she has to pee and then she has oh to my God. hop to the bathroom because the <laughs> lights are on and she doesn't want him to see her butt. Mm-hmm. which might have cellulite like it's, it's so funny but I, in the days that followed after i read it i was the sadness of it kept coming up for me <sighs> because it's it's really really sad you know and um and like personally i i can relate to those kinds of thoughts and it, and and it really just brings it all together at the end when the therapist is talking to her and and um and and you know i won't spoil it for anyone but it, it it's just such a beautiful way of um of showing vivian and showing us like actually you were really smart when you were doing all these things that you thought were weird or crazy or whatever 
Yeah. I mean, that's one of the beauties for me of like psychology um, as a field and like feminist, non-dogmatically feminist psychology and, and feminist trauma literature, which really probably inspired me more than fiction or you know when I was when I was writing the book um because like I said like I wanted to get things psychologically accurate Mm -hmm. um and that meant not only thinking about my own experience thinking and 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 thinking about the victims and survivors that I know and talking to them um but also reading feminist psychological accounts of things like, uh, you know, shame and body shame and eating disorders and, um, and, and, and all of this stuff. And what, what I kept coming back to, or what kept coming back time and time again, was just this absolute alignment with the survivor at all times in terms of thinking about all of these things as kind of beautiful but flawed defense mechanisms Mm -hmm. and just always thinking about the symptoms in that very compassionate light Mm -hmm. you know just like it makes sense Mm -hmm. it makes sense it makes sense (laughs) it makes sense and I think that's very important for people because sometimes we're just so ashamed of these coping mechanisms right um, right, like the the coping mechanisms are exhausting, and then yes. the feelings we have about them add to that pain and exhaustion. Yes, yes, absolutely. Especially now when you know you're, you know, like body body acceptance or body positivity or body neutrality. That's all the the goal, and those have become kind of moral aims. Mm-hmm. And if you fall short of that, and you are a moral person, then that's going to it's going to increase shame potentially, right? Because you're not supposed to want a perfect body. Right. You're not supposed right. to want a body without dimples or cellulite. You're just not supposed to want that. That's bad. So if you want that, you are bad. Um, but how is that complicated by trauma potentially? Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, and by, you know, by desires for for perfection and unassailability and, 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 control. and control. Yeah. Yep. I was reading your, um, your brief interview with Penn America and, um, they asked, you know, like who, who's your audience, who are you writing to? And, um, and you said, you know, survivors and, and, but I wanted to also bring this up too, cause I thought this was so interesting. You said also women are forever on my mind and always will be, especially women with big brains and those who are deeply ambivalent about their gender. And I just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about, about that ambivalence. Um, about those kinds of women yeah yeah I mean I think I think Vivian is someone who um is is in a lot of ways very kind of gynocentric women-centric has you know a kind of sapphic energy um Jane is a queer woman um uh i think that vivian and jane both see themselves as feminist 
and they do not they do not cringe <laughs> at that word um they both they both really embrace feminism and feminist politics um at the same time i think that you know i think Viv- vivian loves and supports women um at the same time she competes with them she hates some of the ways that women who are not her <laughs> are socialized um she resents the the sexual marketplace competition um and and so something that i'm really interested in is 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 ways of thinking about gender that aren't simply identification versus not identification Mm -hmm. um and i think that a character like vivian you know she you know like she takes she takes what she she takes what's useful to her and she discards the rest right like like in the in the in the 12 step way um from 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 femininity and from and from being gendered female (laughs) like she takes she takes she takes this and she and she takes some stuff from masculinity um and i think i think she's ambivalent about being a woman and i think that that comes out in a lot of the ways that she behaves um you know sometimes she's simpering um with with men and then other times she's she's aggressive and dominant um and anything but simpering you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so she's constantly playing with 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 all of that stuff um and i hope that i you know i hope that there are people who see themselves in her in the way that she's trying to negotiate all of these expectations on her i mean and then plus you know she's she's not white so Mm -hmm. you know it's it is arguable i think that um black and brown people pose a, a very large problem for for the gender binary in general because that binary is is itself is based on whiteness i think Mm -hmm. and so i think there's there's and i I know that there's like very there's there's interesting philosophical work being done in that space um but yeah that that was a long ramble but i think that's 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 starting to get at kind of some of what i'm interested in 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 this book and and that i hope to explore it more um in my in my future work yeah, it's like the work of being a woman is sort of what Vivian, she works really hard. I mean, like she's constantly trying to see herself through other people's eyes and and edit herself into, I mean, especially like those scenes with Matthew, who's like such a drip, you know? And like, I mean, he sees her, he sees her clearly. I mean, he asks her directly if she has an eating disorder and, you know, he kind of sees her clearly in those ways, but, but like, she doesn't like does she actually like him or does she just want him to like her you know and um and it's and like that's like this woman's work right like it's just like I have to be the thing that the world is asking me to be and the world is so varied 
that it's, I have to be a million different things in the same day and it's work. And she's like good at doing the work, but, but where's, where's the like her in it. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Matthew is a, is a prop, you know, right, he's, yeah. a, he's, 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 he's a trophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, she even says outright to herself, as soon as Matthew falls in love with me, I can say goodbye to my family. Cause I'll have, <laughs> you know, I'll have him. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that sex scene because I, it was, it was so uncomfortable and you're so close to Vivian throughout the whole thing. And then, but then at the end, the result, I just was the fact that she, I was like, Oh wait, she, I guess she mostly enjoyed that. I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, like I wasn't. Okay. All right. I guess I wasn't she expecting made it through, that. Alex. Okay. She, she made it. She through. made it through. She did it. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he has such a big dick that I think it was an accomplishment. <laughs> it was an accomplishment for her to take it. It's like climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> she climbed Mount Everest. Graduating no sh- no from Sherpa. law school. No <laughs> climbing Mount Everest Sherpa list. That's right. Um, and yeah. then that, and she even says to herself afterward, like, I don't know if I can do that that often. Like, <laughs> you might just have to be like a hook. <laughs> yes. Um, well, scene, I can't... and oh, then the scene, I'm sorry, I just had to bring up the the scene late in the book with Elliot, which just did was that? Did you have that in mind at all before you arrived at it? And Elliot's ultimate reaction to to Vivian, and I just that scene was so fucking funny to me just the the back and forth the karaoke earlier on and then just kind of the ultimate rejection was so just like did you have how did that how, how did how did drafting that kind of go if you I know I know you said you were having trouble remembering writing a lot of it but um yeah I so one of my favorite movies is young adult I love that movie people don't talk about that movie enough it is amazing. It is so amazing. With Charlie Theron. It's one yes. of my favorite. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's also one of my favorite like writer movies, you know, movies about writers. Yes. Um, and I also just I love how angry and irritated she is throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie. Um, and I've never seen a movie that like renders like depression as irritability and anger um, and judgment. Um, as well as well as that book but our movie um but I I think it was inspired a bit by by that by her kind of delusion mm-hmm. that she's gonna get her ex back and then and then it all fails um and so I was thinking about about just kind of needing Vivian to be in a kind of delusional state the kind of like well i've been dumped by this guy and so now i need i need something else um (laughs) and so like can you be can you be him can you be can you be that um and and so i just kind of was like well i think she's i think so there was there was a version where he was he was really into her um but then it just kind of she needs to spiral. So it has to be, it just, it just didn't work. It was too easy. You know, sometimes it's like, you don't make your characters suffer enough. And I think I was doing that. So I think I was having her, um, 
be dumped by Matthew and then like Elliot is really into her, but it just didn't, it didn't work. It was like, no, he's got to, he's got to reject her too. And there has to be more that she's been kind of projecting this, you know, or it's just a flirtation that he never intended to go any further than a, than a flirtation. But I had to kind of, I had to have her be totally rejected. And I knew I was resisting that as the writer. I wanted to protect her. Um, and because I know everybody out here is going to be thinking that it's me. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to have her being rejected by all these people. Um, but then I was like, no, I have to, I, she, he has to reject her. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked that he did. I was like, what? And then, but then, I mean, it makes, which is revealing because I think as, as a reader, even with everything that Vivian is doing throughout the book and how real the spiral is and how, how, how obvious it is becoming to, to people around her. Although at that point in the book, it hasn't, she hasn't quite hit bottom. I still was like, I was like, Oh, he's, she's going to get him. This is going to, she's going to fuck this up in a different way. Like she's going to steal him from Pauline and all this stuff. But I think it's just, you're because we're so close to Vivian it's it's hard not to feel that way as a reader, I think. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I mean, that's the best that's the best compliment that you're going through it with her. Um, and I was thinking, like, what what actually causes people to change? Mm-hmm. You know, what are these? You know, and I think the the bubble of her delusion really popped in in multiple ways. It had to it had to burst. You know, she had to kind of see that she's been wrong about like 10 different things in the course of in the course of this book. You know, she's such a big brained woman, (laughs) like she doesn't want to be wrong. But like, look at everything that she's been wrong about in the past few months. Wonderful list. Yeah, Yeah. that wonderful list that you give us. It's so funny. I have to ask you about what you're working on now. Oof. (sighs) <laughs> I am working on myself. <laughs> Great. That's a good answer. I am I am working on me. I am um so I'm not working right now. I I quit my job um earlier this year and I've never not worked in my life. Um it is a it is a wonderful privilege and as it turns out for me a massive psychological burden. So (laughs) it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, explain this to me. Like, how was I, why was I, why am I this type of person where I need to be like working constantly in order to write, you know, and to be like doing it, you know, like I need to work full time in order to actually be creative. Um, Like that's wild to me, but that's something that may be true about me because Mm -hmm. when I'm given all of this time, I'm, I'm, I'm doing nothing, but Mm -hmm. I'm starting to, I mean, I think one problem was that I was working on something for a while that I just don't think is the second book. And I think I kept trying to force it um, because I wanted it to be the second book and it just wasn't happening. And I wasn't excited about it. I was actually dreading working on it because it's really depressing and I decided recently that that is not going to be the second book. Wow. Um, and what I've decided about the second book is that it is a comic novel. 
Um, and that is all that I have decided um, <laughs> is that it's just the, like the, the, the challenge is that it has to be comedy and it has to be sustained throughout however many hundreds of pages um, a novel is. So that is, that is all I know. I just want to work on something funny and I just want to be sitting down every day being like, how, how can I make people laugh? How can I make myself laugh? Um, so I'm coming up with wacky characters. Great. I love that. I, I, you know, I think every time I sit down to try to write a certain way, what comes out is the complete opposite. Cause I thought I wrote a really funny book with my last novel. And my agent was like, this book is so sad. Like it's way too sad. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever, like, <laughs> like what comes out is going to come out. <laughs> yeah and sometimes you just can't I mean the forcing I don't know sometimes when when there's a block it's because you're just not working on the thing you right. need to be working on or that you want to be you know it's just I I was clenching I was clenching too much and gripping too much onto something that I wanted to be my next big thing and it just wasn't happening oh yeah yeah so I had to let it let it go yeah it'll come back in a different way you know yeah, it's not going anywhere. I mean, I yeah. believe strongly that like it's not going anywhere. It's just not the time for that project right now. Yeah. I always wanted to ask Andrew Sean Greer how he wrote less because less is like the lightest, funniest, most filled with meaning book I've ever read. And it feels so like simple. It feels like a simple thing we should all be able to do. Joy. <laughs> to write joy, you know? <laughs> but it's hard. It's so hard. I want to read that. I, I will definitely say that though my next book is funny, it it, it is not about joy. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. Oh my God, I already can't wait. <laughs> um, well, Chantal, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved this conversation. And thanks for for this podcast. Oh, um, please. You're doing you're doing important work for all of for all of us who are writers, but <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear it. Uh, absolutely yeah, loved your book. It's called Post Traumatic. Everybody, you already know what it is. Um, but if you haven't read it, you are in for a treat. That was awesome. I love yeah, this book. Me too. And I was thinking as she was talking about it, um, women who are ambivalent about their gender, mm -hmm. that I, Last Resort, um, mm -hmm. Andrew Lipstein's book, it feels mm -hmm. like such a, like a, like almost like a cold masculine voice, like just such an, like a confident masculine voice, like even mm -hmm. as he's fucking up left and right. Mm -hmm. I would love to like read that book in tandem with Post Traumatic, mm. you know, where things are also getting fucked up, but it just feels like an ultra, like masculine voice versus this feminine voice and like mm -hmm. playing off each other i just it would be interesting yeah um and then i when she was talking we were talking about the like the body stuff mm -hmm. the um eating disorder and stuff i have a children's book recommendation that we got oh. um and it's a chicago illustrator named tyler fetter and it's called bodies are cool okay and it's like every different type of body skin color shape you know, abled awesome. and, and disabled and all that. Um, and my kids like it a lot. Nice. So that's a book wreck for all my parents out there. What's up with you? Uh, 
just winding up summer, I guess. Girls starts or girls, older daughter starts school in a week and a half. Mm-hmm. We got soccer starting up on Tuesday. So I got to figure out how soccer works before Tuesday because I'm the coach. Um, and then let's see. I'm rereading um, Eat the Document. I I just wanted to reread it. And I that's been so fun. I love Dana Spiota. So that's been a lot of fun doing I've, that. I've never read her. I think you'd love her. I think I would too. She's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a great book. Um, I'm watching a TV show, which I always give you shit about watching TV <laughs> shows. So fuck me. But um, I was going to not watch the new Nathan Fielder show until it was like all done and people would stop talking about it because I'm such a fucking grouch. But I couldn't wait. I had to watch it and I love it. <laughs> so that's been stressful? fun. It seems stressful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, you know, some people, people say that they're like, oh, you know, even with Nathan for you, where they were like, oh, I can't watch it. It makes me too anxious or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't relate to that. It just makes me laugh. So yeah, you love him. I do love him. I fucking love him. <laughs> uh, it's nuts. I don't know. Have you guys watched that? It's that no. in the rotation. No, right now we're, we just started under the banner of heaven. Oh, before that we watched the boys. I've I've been told by so many people to watch the boys. It's so good. It's so good. It looks good. good. It looks funny, but I it's just... extremely like gory and like yeah, super dark, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I haven't watched it though. It's great. Love um, Homelander. Home is that a different show? Nope that's a, that's a character's name. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, lots I, I don't know. What <laughs> else? Uh, what else is going on? Um, I just started reading A.M. Holmes's book, which is so good. One of my fave writers ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had family come visit from Texas and that was great to have like the cousins all play together. Um, like none of our family lives around, none of the kids' cousins live around us. So it's nice when they come to visit or we visit there. Mm-hmm. They just like play with each other. It's great. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. But that's about it. I mean, yeah, our kids start, all three of my kids start school on August 22nd. They're all going to the same building Wow. all day. Wait. I Wait, all day? Yeah, Judy's going to all day. Whoa. Chicago, Wait, how did I not know that? All know. day? Why is that tripping me out so much? Isn't she still pre-K? Yeah, she's going pre-K four all day. Uh, Chicago has universal pre-K for pre-K four. So it's um... free. And um, they only offer it all day. So it's nine to three. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Excuse me. 745 to 245. That um, is insane. It is crazy. And she was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I was like, well, Judith, did you know that your teacher is a princess? And she was like, wait for real life. <laughs> and the picture of the teacher on the website, she just happens to have like a, like a really pretty like headband with pearls on it on her head. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, see? And she's like, oh my God my teacher's a princess and now she can't wait to go (laughs) so i'm gonna have to pull that teacher aside and be like you're a princess from monrovia so do not mess this up for me yeah just she's gonna call you that and it's fine Um, but i think she's gonna love it like she loves other kids she loves all that stuff so yeah yeah good stuff good i think we did it we did it
Bye. I'm a Writer But is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.